Hey everyone, and welcome to this special Snake Oilers edition of the Risky Business Podcast. My name's Patrick Gray. Snake Oilers isn't our regular weekly podcast. It is a wholly sponsored series we do here at Risky.biz where vendors come onto the show to pitch their products to you, the Risky Business listener. So to be clear, everyone you hear in one of these editions paid to be here. If you are looking for the weekly show, just scroll one episode back in your podcast feed. Now, in this edition of Snake Oilers, we'll be hearing from Google Security. Uh, Anton Chuvakin is appearing on their behalf to talk more about how switching to its cloud-native seam actually makes sense these days. Paul McCarty from SecureStack will be along uh, to talk through their latest stuff. Uh, and that's interesting, actually, because they're doing software composition analysis that includes a lot more information uh, than you know just what code is going into an application. Like, what services is the application using? Which APIs? That sort of thing. Uh, they've also built some really nice compliance tools where you can do, like, a single scan and see how you measure up against various compliance regimes. Uh, screen caps of that one look um, fantastic actually. Um, but those two are coming up later on. But first up, we're going to talk with Vectra. Now, Vectra was historically a network detection and response vendor and one of the better ones too. And they still do that stuff. Uh, but instead of just taking network taps out of cloud environments and saying, we do cloud security, uh, Vectra is actually doing uh, cloud-based uh, detection sensibly by examining stuff like Azure AD and CloudTrail logs, right? So they've still got the NDR piece but everybody's heard the generic NDR pitch a million times. So I thought for this interview, I would zero in on the new stuff uh, with uh, the talent, uh, who is Vectra's SVP of products, Kevin Kennedy. So here he is. On the network, you get, you get data that is very consistent and it's the same in any network. When you're looking at all of these different applications, so we, we do identity, that includes Azure AD, um, it includes AD, we do control planes, so things like AWS control plane. We do SaaS applications, Microsoft 365, all of those. It's not just that the data format is different, it's that the threat is different. The way that it's going to be attacked is different. And so the way we've, we've approached it is we have built a platform similar to what we had done before on the network side. Grab packets really fast, you build up these models over time that, that learn what's happening um, so that you can then detect methods in, in, in real time, attacker methods in, in real time. We've taken a similar approach with the cloud. So you think about what are the things that people do when they attack Azure AD? There's a sign-in component. There's things that you, you've talked about on the show, like federating domain trust, like installing OAuth apps. Um, we're watching for all of those types of attack methods and using ML to, to really pull those out in ways that are, that are durable. Each new application, each new attack surface that we look at, we have to do the security research, define the attack methods. You can think of this like MITRE, the, the, the whole attack TTP thing. You've got to dissect the methods, then build models based on the data that you have in order to, to find those methods accurately. So that's really what, what we do and how we find the threats in, in each of these surfaces. And then you've got to stitch them all together, right? So you got to know that this account in AD is the same as this account and Azure AD is the same as this credential in, in AWS and tie that together to give the full narrative of the threat. 
you know, talk us through the cloud side because this is the stuff that's new to to the show, to me, right? This is the stuff that I'm interested in. What's sure. a, you know, what's something that you can detect? What's some sort of malicious thing that you can detect with the, uh, you know, cloud native telemetry? Because sure. that's that's not, uh, you know, much to our surprise, you know, that's not a big part of the industry yet, despite the fact that everybody operates in the cloud. Yeah, when it's in the, there's there's multiple chunks of the cloud. So if I start and I look at, at, at Azure AD, so cloud cloud identity, right? So Azure AD, um, imagine looking at the the sign in, which is the most is the the leading edge. Every sign in attempt, analyze it, and and so there's these obvious ways to look for um, for a, a sign in that is malicious, and and there's often these like impossible travel, and uh, it's a new location, and those are just incredibly noisy. And so we, we do look at every sign-in that's coming in and we look at, there's 22 different feature, features that we're analyzing both at a user level and for the entire organization about the device type, the user agent, where is it coming from, the posture, what was the method that was used to, to access so that you can pull out what's malicious, but then go deeper and look at things like, are OAuth apps being installed? And what is the commonality of that OAuth app? Yeah, in the so this this login right? might so, only look a little bit shady, but then there's some little bit shady actions that happen afterwards, and that yes. sort of elevates the yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that I mean that's it, that's it, or it, right? your federating domain trust. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Federating domain trust after a slightly suspicious login makes it uh, look a little bit more suspicious. Yep. So that's on the you know on the uh, authentication you know authenticating user side and user action side. Uh, can you think of another concrete example that you can give um, give the audience? Sure. Sure. So I'll keep uh, that's you know Azure AD, and there's you know a bunch of different methods that are that are covered there. Um, and then you look at so Azure AD. By the way, and, I will say like it it just blows my mind that a lot of the IDPs don't do this stuff. They do some of it, but it, it surprises me how little they do in that space. And I think it really is just that support overhead because you can occasionally get false positives, but. Yeah, I just amazed they don't tune it up more. But anyway, go other yeah. other cloud stuff. Yeah, so so other cloud stuff. If I keep on that 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 sort of a train, you can look then deeper into Microsoft 365, which is there's such a a ton of data and, and reliance on on M365, and it's an incredibly powerful suite of applications, and that's great for users, but it also provides a lot of tools for for attackers. So you know, one of them that's very interesting is is Power Automate. And Power Automate is a it's kind of like PowerShell is in, in the network world, but but in M365. So I can now set up connectors that that and flows that can do anything automatically. So imagine every time an email comes in, grab that file, put it into my OneDrive or into a Dropbox. That's really convenient for me as a, a user because I'm never going to lose my attachments. But it's also incredibly useful for an attacker. So this is this is the sort of stuff yeah that I wanted to talk about because it's like you can't you can't take you can't repurpose a network detection device to pick up on stuff like that because it's not going to see it. Yes, exactly. And so you you have to understand what data you're you're getting. And in this case with for example Power Automate, in order to really understand it, you need to see first what's in the audit log, but then you also need to make calls back to then dig into what is the actual flow that's being Defined because that data isn't available in the audit log, so you you need to follow up to get it. So it's a very specialized interaction to pull the data that you need to feed the model and get the outcomes that that you need. But if you're not looking at that sort of thing, imagine one login, set up a Power Automate rule, sit back, 
and what and, and the data just comes to the attacker. They never have to log in again. They can stay masked for for months because what else are you going to see if you can't find that Power Automate flow? So um, these are the types of things and, and all sorts of other native behaviors. It could be mailbox rules. Um, it could be uh, adding users in teams, like all that sort of native functionality. That's the type of stuff that that we're monitoring and, and looking for for threats against. And then if you move into say the the AWS control that was, plane, that was literally going to be yeah. my next question. But yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So, <laughs> um, so if you if you move into the AWS control plane, which is another really interesting one, I mean, you can you can think about there's always the classic examples of you leave uh, an S3 bucket open. Yeah, sure, that's that's relatively straightforward. But there's also looking at one of the challenges in in AWS is the way that identity works. Roles can assume roles, entities can assume roles, credentials can assume roles. So first thing you actually actually have to do is is track all of that and follow all of that role assumption to understand what's going on. Um, but once you do that, you can look for things like uh, enumerating secrets via via API. So are you looking for secrets? Are you looking for for services? Are you launching new uh, EC2 instances? Are you um, changing and modifying container registries? Uh, all those types of, of activities that are back to the, the network thing, you're not going to see that on the network. No, so They're not visible is, on the network. Was, you I was going to ask, is this, this would all be CloudTrail stuff, right? That's CloudTrail. Yeah, and there's, are you, there's are you interesting pulling, are you like CloudTrail from, CloudWatch. Are you pulling from other uh, APIs as well? Yeah, so the, the, the two that are that are relevant there are Cloud for AWS, CloudTrail, CloudWatch. Yeah, okay. Yeah, see, I didn't, you know, this is all this is all very new to me. It's all very new to me, Kevin. <laughs> what about GC on the GCP side? I'd imagine you know you just you're just kind of doing the similar sort of stuff, and it makes sense too that like it seems a bit daunting when you're outside the space, like I am, right? Because this cloud thing's big and scary and new. But I guess you know uh, the, the 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 attacker methodologies. A lot of them are going to look the same, so you're not going to have to necessarily eat the whole buffalo, right? Yeah, I mean, the, so I think there there are similarities in, in the attacker methodologies, but each of these cloud environments is different. Yeah, the way that the yeah. identity works is different. The way that their services work and interact are different. And so this goes back to this. This is not. It's not easy. You actually have to go in and do the research for for each of the domains. You have to understand the the, the data for each of the domains, and and that's it's it's quite a heavy lift. And it's it, it's one of the things that that end user organizations really struggle with is like on the network side, it's hard to get the data at scale. Here, everyone has the data. You can get these logs. What do you do with them? Right? Do you have people who can sit around and, and build models. Like we have dedicated teams who spend all day every day building all of these models, maintaining all of these models as services change and, and evolve. And that's you know really one of the 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 values that we see is is like you could theoretically do these in a sim. You're going to be spending your your entire life trying to build and maintain those models in a place where you have a skill shortage. You don't have enough people like hmm. have them do the, the the other stuff. You can buy this, right? Now, are you, so that's, are you that's unifying really a lot of this stuff with network data? And like, is that yes. even is that even valuable? Well, it's so it's it's yes. The the bringing that back to that threat narrative, bringing the threat narrative together is really valuable because you 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 think about, for example, go back to to solar winds and and you attack the the premise data center to get to. The uh, ADFS cert that then allows you to do the, the Golden Samuel attack into Azure AD. Being able to tie those two domains together to say, actually, this is the same activity. These are related, 
helps you respond. The same thing is, is true. Like imagine an attack that, that starts um, in AWS, gets some secrets, pivots back into your data center with, with information. You want to be able to track those and, and see that it's actually related activity. That's really critical. Are there a lot of customers buying this just for the cloud stuff? Or is everybody using it across the whole board for you know network traffic plus cloud stuff? I mean, what what what's the what's the primary sort of deployed use case um, these days for Vectra? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, we're, it, it's interesting because we we see we see a mix. Like we we see certainly we come from uh, an, an NDR background, so there's a lot of our customers who started on the network and then extended in, into the cloud with us. We have new organizations who, who you know, we just had a, a big bank that they signed up and, and they saw this as an XDR project. So they actually saw the, the AWS uh, native tools. They saw the, the Microsoft native tools. They had IDS. They're like, this isn't doing it for us. We need to bring it together. We need to have a better, um, and for them, it was, it was an AI uh, threat approach. Um, and so they brought us in, they, they call it an XDR. We have people who look at this as an NDR project and, and oh, by the way, we're going to add AWS. We have people who, who start just in the cloud with, with say Office 365, they've migrated there. They have a big blind spot. They don't want to build the, the rules in their sim, so they start there. We see all sorts of, of yeah, starting yeah. points. Yeah. How, how chatty is it, right? Like what's your false positive rate? Do you even know? I guess it would depend think- on the environment too. I mean, it, it, it depends a little bit, but this is this goes back to you know the methodology is really focused on on the method. Um, so you know sometimes you will certainly see administrators who have done things that they've they've never done before that are security relevant. I would say you know we're, we're going to generally see five to ten percent are malicious true positives. Eighty percent of the stuff, 75, 80 percent will be. I'm really glad I knew that, but it wasn't malicious. Yeah, and then you you got ten to fifteen where percent where you know they'd say, "Hey, please don't tell me this again." Right, that's kind of the the, the mix that that we see. Now, one nice thing about these cloud services is that I'd imagine provisioning a trial just for that side of it would be quite easy. Um, yeah. Do you offer like a free trial, self provisioned, anything like that, or is it a contact sales at kind of deal? Yep. No, you you can you can sign up for for free trials on on the website, and it is it's fascinating coming from the network side where, yeah, where you, you look at a, <laughs> you look at this large you like you look at some of these these uh, large uh, multinationals, and it's like, hey, that's going to be a three month project to to, to do a park. Yeah. No, I get it, I, and that's the Here, thing with there's like fifteen minutes. Yeah, 15 I mean, minutes, I remember I remember interviewing like it was someone actually from Trend Micro, and I think they were among the first of the big AV companies um, to do a O three six five graph API based like. Uh, anti-malware for, for email and they could provision it at lunch sort of thing, which is like, you just cut and paste this thing in here and then hit go and bang, it's done. Right. Like crazy. Yeah. No, we, we had, we had uh, this, this battle to get down to uh, how fast could you provision in an AWS trial? And we got to, uh, this is a, a, a very large organization. They have hundreds of AWS accounts in all the regions across the world they were up and running in, in eight minutes. So if anyone is interested in, um, yeah, doing that free trial, and as we just mentioned, like doing it on the on the cloud side is actually going to be pretty trivial. Uh, if you want to have a look at it, head over to Vectra.ai. Uh, Kevin Kennedy, thank you so much for uh, joining us to give us your best solid pitch uh, for Vectra. It's been a long time coming, this one. So uh, glad you could get here finally. Glad to be here, Patrick. Re- really enjoyed it. Thank you. That was Kevin Kennedy there with a chat about Vectra's NDR turned cloud security and NDR product. 
So you can find them at Vectra.ai. Uh, next up in this edition of Snake Oilers, we are chatting with Paul McCarty of Australian startup SecureStack. SecureStack has done Snake Oilers in the past, and uh, at the time they were focusing on cloud security posture management, or CSPM. Uh, now, Paul wound up building essentially a developer security tool he hoped would steer people towards their CSPM stuff, sort of like what a marketer would call funnel filler. And it became really popular. So it's actually now the main thing that they do. Uh, so here's Paul McCarty describing SecureStack's tool, uh, which does things like spot misconfigurations and, you know, scan your code for vulnerable libraries and so on and so on. Typical sort of SCA stuff, but a little bit extra. Here's Paul McCarty. What we wanted to do is we really wanted to help engineering teams across the whole of the SDLC. And what does that mean? That means that I want to help a developer writing code on their laptop. We want to give them discrete security um, uh, functionality on their laptop, things like checking for embedded credentials or API keys, things like that, checking for vulnerable third-party libraries, open source libraries that might have vulnerabilities, checking for cloud misconfigurations they might be about to check into their code. We give them that discrete functionality right there, but then we also help them in the CI/CD processes. We actually run automated, automated pipelines and actions in things like GitLab, GitHub, Bitbucket and the like. We help them in the build process and in AWS, the cloud providers. So we're, we're kind of plugged in across that whole SDLC. And while we're providing security functionality at each one of those stages, we're also collecting data about how the application works. And that data allows us to do some really, really cool things now, including continuous compliance reporting for the SDLC and this legendary you know, next gen S-bomb that I would love to talk about at some point too as well. Next gen S bomb. <laughs> you can't say something like that and then not. not Dude, I'm, I'm purposely saying I don't. We don't know what to call it, right? So like, we honest, we honestly don't know what to call it right now. We've been working with Patrick. Um, we've talked to Patrick up in the sunny coast, Patrick Dwyer from the Cyclone DX project. But basically, the problem right now is when we think about S bomb, it's like it's basically like your JavaScript packages, right? It's like package.lock. Well, that's just a tiny part of what your application is. And the whole point of this SBOM process is to know, be able to say to somebody, hey, here's what your application is, right? And that means a lot more data. And that data just happens to be in our GraphQL database already from those different stages that we plug into. So we can actually give somebody right now a beautiful real-time understanding of what their application looks like. Now, when you say what their application looks like, like go into the details there, because uh, you know that's that's you know that's worth diving into, I guess. Yeah. So, listen, the modern web application is complex. You know, we're talking about that a minute ago, right? I mean, it's complex in the sense that it's new programming languages. A lot of these languages actually run in the browser. JavaScript runs in the browser, but that's part of it. It's also about these cloud-native and third-party identity access providers, things like Okta and Auth0 and, and the AWS resources, right? All of that is part of the application. If you take any of those components away, guess what? The app doesn't work. So we need to include those things inside of this, whatever we're going to call it, next-gen SBOM, right? To be able to say, hey, this is accurately what your application really is. It's not just your JavaScript code. It's all these other components too and all the relationships between those components. And that's something we can do. Yeah. So, I mean, one thing that was interesting, as you mentioned, we, we did have a fairly long chat actually before we started recording this interview. One thing that I found interesting was how easy it was to spin up the software composition analysis part of this, right? Because there's a couple of big companies that have taken huge amounts of funding uh, to build this thing, but you reckon like that part was not actually too hard? No, especially the way it's being done right now. And, and, and that's not to take aim at anybody, but the reality is that 
ultimately what software composition analysis is, it's looking at your requirements.txt or your package.lock, right? Dash lock and explaining what those packages are, the versions of them, and do they have vulnerabilities? That in and of itself, not that complex. The things that are more complex and that people aren't doing at this point is telling me, hey, of that list of, uh, of libraries and frameworks, which of those is actually something that I can affect, right? Because I might have installed a piece of software, and if it's at the top of that food chain, that's something I can change versus something that's transitively down the food chain 14 stages. If I try to update that to the version that's not vulnerable, the whole thing falls apart. And things like that are not being brought to the to the customer right now as part of SCA. And that's something that we want to change. I mean, I think some of the SCA companies might argue that point, right? And say that they do give uh, they do give better context than than what you're implying. But you are right. Like the 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 doing the inventory bit of this is not the hard part. It's it's what do you do with that information? How do you present it to the customer? Hundred percent. And 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 the reality is these components are running usually in a web app, right? One of the things that we do that nobody else is doing is we actually look at the web app. We're continuously scanning that web application, understanding it. And that allows us to say, hey, some of these kind of libraries that have issues over here in your, in your component list, are they actually things that are attackable in the application? And that is certainly not something that any of the incumbents are doing right now, right? Because they're not actually, they don't have that component that scans the web application. We do. We're, we're able to connect those dots in a way that they're not. So I guess if people are curious, are you offering like, uh, you know, free one-time point-in-time scans so people can actually see that you're not just talking out of your hat? <laughs> yeah, 100%. You can actually get 20 free scans. You can get 20, right? Access to the almost the complete uh, platform for free. You just sign up, no credit card. All you need is a GitHub or a Bitbucket or a username combo. Come in, use the product, love it, and then upgrade. We'll yeah, that's interesting, right? Because um, uh, it's... Yeah, I mean, we were talking about this as well, but it's a very different sales process to trying yes. to sell AW, you know, foundational AWS security products. Hundred percent. Like, I can wake up in the morning, Pat, and I'll have two or three new people that have onboarded themselves, right? And I never had that in the original product, right? So, that is the power of that onboarding for sure. Yeah. Now, look, you mentioned it earlier, but uh, this bit I think is really worth talking about, and I imagine it's what's driving a lot of your sales. Um, is your compliance dashboard? I'm going to drop a link. You've done a little YouTube demo of it. It's only three minutes long. Uh, I'll drop a link to it in the notes uh, for this podcast. But you've managed to build a pointy clicky uh, compliance reporting dashboard, which given how much human endeavor, I mean, it's not wasted per se, but given how much effort normally goes into, uh, uh, you know, determining your compliance versus uh, various regimes, um, you know, I think this is going to be something that a lot of people will uh, respond to quite well. But tell us about the, uh, the, the compliance reporting you've built into the product. Yeah, thanks, man. It was it was honestly just listening to our early customers. We had a, a group of early customers that said, "Hey, can you help us with our with our compliance programs?" And we thought about it, and you know, as we were talking about earlier, we have the data already in our graph database, right? So basically, because we integrate with the source code repositories, with the CI/CD processes, your build pipelines, and your public cloud resources, that data goes together into our GraphQL. And then we, what we can do is we can use a mapping that I've built that basically maps to ISO 27001, SOC 2, Australian ISM. We're doing a big thing with AusCyber about the Australian ISM and a number of other global frameworks like the NIST SSDF and APRA and some others. 
that ability to basically say to you, hey, listen, your application has all these different components, source code to how it's running in AWS. Let's give you a viewpoint into the compliance in real time. And that's the thing is we do it in real time right in front of you. And that's part of our platform. Yeah. So, I mean, if you spot like there's ticks, ticks and X's, right? And if you see a little red X, you can go fix something up, rescan it, and then boom. 100%. And the best part, Patrick, is that We've open sourced um, that mapping. It's called the DevSecOps Playbook. It's on GitHub. If you just Google DevSecOps Playbook, you'll find our document. It's 50 controls. All 50 of those controls are things that are inside of our platform, and that mapping is there, and we allow our customers to be able to connect those dots. So we wanted to make that available to people as an open source project, but if they want to have somebody do it automatically for them, hey, come and use our product. It's relatively inexpensive. gives you a lot of power. Now, every early stage vendor, I always ask them this question, which is who is buying it, right? Um, who, who's actually buying it? Because there's usually, usually if something is growing well, it's because it's a hit in one particular sort of niche, right? What, what's that niche yep. for you? Yeah, great, great question. So we've got two right now and they're, they're, the ratio of them is going to change. So the first is CTOs and heads of engineering. Basically, They've got a number of, of engineering staff, right? And this is usually for scale-ups or small enterprise. They've got a number of engineering staff and they're really concerned about the overall security profile of their, their estate of applications. So buying SecureStack allows them to plug all those applications in. We manage all of that and we give them real-time compliance and all the other things we do, including the ability to, to, make, to materially make those things better. And then the second user, which I did not see, I got a lot of things right, Pat, and I got some things wrong. And one of those was the fact that MSPs, I just, I basically didn't think the MSSPs would be interested at all. Well, I wouldn't like, have thought that either. So yeah, that's, this is interesting. Yeah, I know. Yeah, they account for more than 50% of our revenue right now. <laughs> How? What do, what do MSSPs have to do with DevSecOps? Well, well, imagine you're an MSSP, right? And your your um, your margins are flattening as all service provider margins eventually do as yeah. things become commoditized, right? What you want to do is you want to, and, and the whole time your, your customers have been saying, hey, can you help us? We're building software. Can you help us make this more secure? And MSSPs have never had an answer to that, right? Well, now they do. They can sign up with SecureStack, and we've got two packages specifically geared towards MSSPs that allow them to either bundle in our service as part of a, a flat rate that they charge their customer. This is a new revenue stream for those MSSPs, or they just buy a big bucket of, of scans from us, and they can just spray those across all their customers and charge whatever they want. So, so are they actually running the build infrastructure for their customers, are they? Yeah, it's less about running the builds, more about making sure that, for example, the automated tests are actually happening in the CI CD process, right? And with us, it's literally like a point and click. You can go boop, and then we'll put those tests in, you know, GitHub or, or GitLab or Bitbucket for you. The customer gets the information back, and the MSSP can build a whole services, you know, kind of model on top of that. Now, if people want to check this out, do they need to go through sales, or can they self-provision? They can self-provision automated. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, go to some scans, and and it won't cost them anything. Yeah, go to securestack.com and in the upper right-hand corner, there's going to be a little login or you can just go directly to app.securestack.com. Create an account. It's free. doesn't ask you for a credit card. gives you 20 free analyses. Use it. And when you're ready, down in the lower right-hand corner, there's going to be a chat option. You type stuff in there and guess what? Me and my team are going to be on the other side of it. Real human beings in on, on the Gold Coast here in Australia. So It's interesting, right? Because I... I my favorite type of vendors to have in these slots are the ones where you can just go and like self-provision and see if it. It, if it actually lives up to the claims, right? Because it lets me yeah. off the hook. <laughs> <laughs> right, 100% do it, do it. We, my team has spent a lot of time 
making that as like painless as possible. It's been, it's, it's been a lot of energy and we're really happy. Well, I mean, I've known, I've, I've obviously worked with a lot of founders of small companies, Paul. And I tell you, that is um, one thing I think they should all do, which is to automate as much as possible, the customer's ability to know what the product is uh, and also to, to get their hands on, on some sort of, um, you know, trial, right? Uh, I think that's a that's a great move. But uh, great to chat to you again. Uh, thanks for bringing us up to speed on you know how you've changed the business over the last couple of years. Uh, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll have to check in with you again in another couple of years to see how it all went. I look forward to it, buddy. Cheers, mate. That was Paul McCarty of SecureStack there, and you can find them at SecureStack.com. It is time for our third and final snake oiler of the series now, uh, and that is Google Security. So Anton Chivarkin is Google Security's Head of Security Solution Strategy. Uh, and yeah, he's been in the industry for a long time. I think I first interviewed Anton, oh man, I would have said pre-2010 in the Netherlands. We're at a conference over there. So he's been in the industry for yonks, as we would say in Australia. Uh, he even spent some time at Gartner as an analyst, uh, which means he knows a thing or two about what big enterprises are actually looking to buy, which, you know, comes in handy when you're working uh, in the sort of job that he's working in now. Uh, so yeah, Google Security offers a bunch of different products, but today we're going to talk about their Cloud Seam product. Now, this was the original product launched by Chronicle a few years ago go before it was absorbed uh, uh, back into Google. And uh, yeah, Anton says it has a much more complete feature set these days. It was a little bit bare bones when it first launched. And that feature set even extends through to orchestration and automation uh, tasks. So yeah, in this interview, he is going to make the case that you can actually go to a cloud-based seam now without having to eat ridiculous bills. Uh, their pricing's always been, uh, you know, more reasonable than others. And uh, yeah, I'm going to drop you in here where I mentioned that, you know, people don't need to be Google these days to get good search and storage. You could just whip out your credit card and you can rent it, right? If you're a vendor, you can say, well, let's just rent the infrastructure we need to run a uh, seam uh, in in the cloud at scale. Uh, but yeah, Anton kind of shut me down there uh, by pointing out that you can do that, but it is f***ing expensive. Here he is. That's exactly right. You pull out a credit card and in a year, you have an eight-digit bill <laughs> that you yeah. have to pass to a client. So if you, you can scale in the cloud and building a scalable cloud SIM is very easy, but building a scalable cloud SIM that doesn't ruin your budget is really much harder. So to me, Chronicle isn't, oh, we build a cloud SIM, we're the only one. Of course we aren't. But uh, the idea is that we build a cloud SIM that scales without ruining your wallet. Here, frankly, and I, I do sound like a marketing person when I say that, we kind of are the only one. And not only because we are, we are part of the cloud provider, you know, Azure Sentinel is also part of the cloud provider, Microsoft Azure, right? But I still feel like the advantage in terms of the decisions we made to build the platform that we have are still lasting advantages. They are lasting advantages over others. I'm not, we're not doing competitive analysis here, but what I see about our platform indicates that it's not just about scaling, it's about scaling without ruining your wallet, without yeah. ruining the budget. Because like uh, the, the material security, Ryan's example is perfect. Anybody can do it if they whip out a credit card, but then you'd be stuck with an eight-digit bill in many cases. And I'm not well, talking about- In the case of Seam, yeah, yeah. So so why don't you tell us like what, what, as compared to like a year or two ago, what are the new features in Chronicle that have sort of made it a more well-rounded solution? Okay, so let me split, I'll split what we acquired from what we built. So let me deal with what we built first and then we'll get to what we acquired. So as far as building, 
one other thing that frustrated me as I was observing the sim and, and, and log analysis, log management, uh, being an analyst is that we sort of started focusing more on raw data, um, searching, string matching, and, and the sort of like lost data quality a little bit. To me, one thing that I've noticed at Chronicle is that Chronicle is trying to scale as the modern tools scale and better, but use some of the techniques and trips and approaches that the old tools that sort of focused on a small subset of data, but at high quality. Think about enrichment, think about categorization, think about predictable schemas. All these things were useful, but they just didn't scale. And then the tools that focused on text search came and dislodged the traditional tools. To me, that the pendulum went way too far into, you want to search? Here's a search string. See you later. Bye. Like to me, this is not sim. This is not. We're gonna yeah, make that's, you. Yeah, that's uh, search. <laughs> that that's that's just search. Yeah, that's and if your search is fast or slow, costly or not costly, this is secondary to the fact that it's just search. And does the tool know what I want? Does the tool have quality data to help me make decisions? The answer is, it can be if you do the work. At Chronicle, I don't want the customers to do the work. We can do the work. I mean, we're Google. We can do a lot of work and we can do it cost effectively and in a scalable manner. So to me, focus on the data quality, enriching with context, enriching with enriching with uh, multiple data sources from data and from, from DLP to like our own DLP, other DLP identity, a lot of other things is what makes data inside Chronicle a lot more useful than just raw text search. Now, of course, it's a tool built by Google. So if you ask us, do you have search? We have search. Please let's lay it to rest. The point is not that we have search. Just like Google no longer does substring matches when you search the internet. You, you search for something specific. You're supposed to find an entity or the, the, the answer. You're not just looking for string matches. Chronicle, in the same way, is trying to bring that type of thinking search or, or approaching the data you want to see it. And for that, we need a lot of enrichment. We, not, we need a lot of enrichment with context. And it's been building a lot of things, enriching alerts, enriching doing risk scoring, doing things that are making data inside Chronicle much more useful. And yes, internally, when I talk to our engineers, I sometimes say, hey, you're building this feature. I recall this SIM tool had this feature, such and such SIM tool had this feature in 2004. And it was forgotten after that because the, the evolution of SIM went the other way. It went down to digging through raw data. But I want the scale of these tools. I want better scale, but I also want the quality of data. I want things enriched. I want things collapsed into stories. I want things to be clear to an analyst. So they won't have to know event IDs and things. Uh, I wrote this very frustrating blog post about this called Sad Truth About Sim a, few, a couple of years ago. And in that post, I basically said, why is today's Sim dumber than a Sim of 15 years ago? Like that makes no sense. It scales better, but it's dumber. Yeah, no, I, I, I get it, right? So you don't want to just yeah. throw an IP address into a search box and then have, yes. you know, a gazillion results in no particular order. Yes. yes. <laughs> Correct. So it's much Correct. more about, yeah. I mean, look, the whole thing with Chronicle, though, was about getting things onto a timeline in the first place, right? So, Correct. you know, you're talking about like initially it was search and then throw it on a timeline. But I guess now you're talking about going beyond that. Much beyond that, because there's a lot of, a lot more context data from DNS to who is to threat and tell to DLP data to vulnerability data that's getting glued to things on the timeline. And I don't mean 
you can glue it. Like we do glue it. And what you get is, is you get data that makes sense, that's enriched and that's correct. But at the scale, actually at, 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 at a scale above the scale of the tools that just do raw search. So we sort of outscale the new tools and we outsmart the old tools. I just made up this metaphor, sorry. It wasn't from any marketing glossy, but to me that actually makes sense. And that's why I'm so excited to be here even now, even after I've been at a large company for two years, I'm sort of allergic to large companies. I've joked about it many times, but I'm super excited to be here because I do see how Chronicle is pushing this in the direction of we scale, but we also don't make you dig on your own. We provide the digging and we enrich the data. And well, of course how, people say, at what point, at what point though, could you say Chronicle is complete, right? Because always from, mm -hmm. from the initial launch, it was like, we've got this mm -hmm. thing and it's already yeah. very useful, uh, but yeah. don't expect it necessarily to be a complete drop in replacement for a huge seam project that you've done. At what point do you think you'll be able to say that, which is, you know, throw away your site, throw away your Splunk. Mm -hmm. We've got a complete replacement that will deliver all of the capabilities of, of those tools. So this is uh, funny enough, I am writing a blog post which where I sort of take a modern look at this very question. But the, the answer I would give you is this, uh, short marketing answer. We already have uh, some clients who are replacing traditional sims with Chronicle. Now, to me, the watershed moment was when we built reliable and effective detection, uh, detection engine. We can write rules, you can match the threat and tell, you can do other stuff, there's some ML in there. So to me, the if, if you wake me up at 3 a.m. and says, Anton, can I replace my SIM with Chronicle? Until we build the robust detection engine, I would say, mm, no, it's more of an augmentation tool. After we build the detection rule engine, uh, I would say, yes, customers are replacing. There are definitely replacements. Now, what I want is, of course, the full workflow of a SIM. And at some point, I realized that we do need to buy to get it quickly. And that's why that's how the simplify story happened, right? Because ultimately it's not about here's the detection. It's what you do with it. How do you, who do you send it to? What do they do? How do you respond? Where do you automate the response? This is a lot of work that happens to the right of SIM. Sorry, I'm quoting possibly from another blog post to what's to the left and to the right of my SIM. But to the right of my SIM is workflow, is SOAR. So to me, we needed that. And without SOAR, we would still be most of the SIM, but not quite a full SIM. Now that we have Simplify and now that we are integrating the tools together, I would say that the replacement of a traditional SIM with their constituent SOAR with Chronicle and Simplify is a good choice. You're going to have detection, you're going to have investigation, you're going to have hunting support, you're going to have workflow, you're going to have enrichment. Uh, you are not going to have some minor bits that people may care about. Uh, if you want Chronicle PCI compliance reports built in, uh, actually we are building some reports using the technology Google owns from Looker. So there are reports at this point, but like a large scale compliance mapping for many regulations isn't there yet. We have partners who do it, but we haven't built compliance reports. Uh, do I see many SIM customers today demand compliance reports? Frankly, no, not that many, but it's an example of a gap that we may close eventually, but the gap matters a lot less in 2022 compared to 2013. Yeah, well, I mean, there's other ways to do that, right? Like, you, you know, you don't many necessarily ways. need your SIM to, to, to do that for you. Correct. But as a 2022 SIM, I think we are we are a replacement in more ways than before. And given Simplify, we are a much more ready-made replacement for a traditional SIM being embedded in a customer. Now, SIM is one of the last, and we'll wrap this up in a moment because we are running out of time, but SIM is one of those last uh, kind of on-prem techs, right? Like it feels like everything eventually winds up in the cloud. SIM is definitely a straggler 
But with all of these technologies, there seems to be a tipping point where people start moving and then all of a sudden everybody moves uh, to, you know, whether it's you, whether it's your competitors, you know, I, I feel like eventually it's inevitable that all of this stuff is going into the cloud. We're not at that tipping point yet, but when do you think that will occur? Um, to me, the tipping point was 2019 when we launched, when some of our competitors launched and the software as a service sim became a choice on the menu. Now, it's not a moment when buying on-prem sim is stupid. I don't think we are That's there. That's the yet. moment I'm asking about. When do you think you're, that you're moment asking is? About yeah, moment. yeah. Okay, okay, good good one. So let me think. Mm, you know, I you can try to pin me down. Uh, I and I would escape by saying in some regions, there's, there's a lot more cloud resistance. And I may give you an answer for, for a mid-sized company in the US or maybe a large company in the US, but I'm not sure I know the answer about mid-sized company in Belgium or in some yeah. other European country. I don't really know that. So so uh, personally buying on-premise EDR with the EDR back with the on-premise backend, we are already beyond that point. Like if you are not buying a cloud backend at EDR, you're making a mistake. So why is it different about sim i'm not sure it shouldn't be different i think we should be in that moment well that's what i'm but getting at feel, but there's got to yeah. be a psychological tipping point in the market where everybody goes this is dumb you know when they're building it and spinning it up and they've got contractors and their storage and, blah, 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 yeah. and they yeah. just you know at some point people have got to look at that on paper and go this yeah. is stupid um they're not doing that yet which i kind of find no. curious but you know when it, that's got to be soon surely Soon, yeah, correct. Because it's not, not just EDR started later than SIM. You know, I coined the term in 2013. So EDR has a much shorter history than SIM. But EDR have flipped to, oh my God, buying on-premise back into EDR is stupid. That moment, we're past that moment. Mm. We are not past that moment with SIM, but I think it's going to be soon simply because EDR is, is kind of very much uh, the course that would follow with SIM. All right. Well, we'll just have to we'll just have to wait and see, won't we, Anton? All right, Anton Chuvakin, thank you very much for joining us on Snake Oilers. Perfect. Thank you. That was Anton Chuvakin there, making the case that a cloud-native seam is right for you, dear listener. Uh, big thanks to Google Security for being a risky business sponsor, and uh, thanks to Anton for doing these interviews. They're always a lot of fun. And that is it for this edition of Snake Oilers. I do hope you've enjoyed it. I'll be back next week with more security news and analysis. But until then, I've been Patrick Gray. Thanks for listening.